Today's scripture comes from Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me five talents here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. And turn to the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered me two talents, here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. And turn to the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servants, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word of the Lord. Good morning, church. My name is Brian Edmonds. For those of you who are new with us this morning, we're glad that you're here. I'm one of the two youth pastors we have on staff, and um, I'm glad that you are here worshiping with us this morning. Uh, many times, uh, many people this time of year, we often set out, we, we make these goals of things that we want to try to be better at or to do more of and, and be more disciplined in in the coming year, and we call all of these things New Year's resolutions. Maybe we want 2018 to be the year where we eat healthier, or we work out more, or lose some of that extra weight, where we pay more attention to our family, or we observe a daily quiet time. But today, one of the things that I'd like to share with you is a sermon on how we can start this new year off on prioritizing more of our time to be with the Lord. And before we begin, I think it'd be funny to just kind of um, show a couple funny New Year's resolutions that I found on the World Wide Web. Is that okay if I do that real fast? Um, here's, here's the first one that I, I kind of chuckled at. My New Year's resolution is to stop hanging out with people who ask me about my New Year's resolutions. How many of you are not, people that you do not make New Year's resolutions? Wow, a lot of you. I wasn't expecting that. Good for you. That's great. All right, the next one. I can't believe it's been a year since I didn't become a better person. Me. Next one. This is a, a cartoon. What exactly is a New Year's resolution? It's a to-do list for the first week of January, because we all know that it ends after that next week. The next one, my New Year's resolution was to lose weight, and so far I've lost my motivation to lose weight. It's, it's really difficult when all the good food's around. And here's the last one. My New Year's resolutions are, one, stop making lists, B, be more consistent, and seven, learn to count. I got a good kick out of those. Well, I used to fear um, 
people thinking of me as, as a lazy person. I, I'm a youth pastor, and unfortunately, the youth pastor category has been lumped into a bunch of people that think that all we do is sit around and eat pizza and play video games, and, and we're lazy people. And I never wanted to be put into that category, um, and so I, I feared people thinking of this. And I think that there are other people in our midst today, perhaps you would never want to have that label thrown on you of, of being lazy. One thing I hear quite often whenever you ask somebody how they're doing is a lot of people will say, well, I'm busy, but I'm good. And you hear something like this. Well, I have to rush to the doctor's office and take, out our, do- take our daughter to soccer, pick up the groceries, get dinner started, pick up our son, take him to his guitar lesson, do the laundry, finish that report for work, meet a friend for coffee, turn the project into my manager by the end of the week and work the extra hours to make sure it gets done, mow the grass, do the yard work, get the tires rotated, help the kids with their homework. And I'm tired just reading that list, like let alone somebody actually doing all those different things. And when did we sneak in our time for God for that day? Today, I would like to submit to you that busy is the new lazy. And I've already had a few people comment and say, wow, that's an interesting title. But today's sermon is going to, as, as McKinley read from Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, it is a sermon that Jesus actually gave, and, and it's on this, a parable, which is called the, the, sermon, uh, the, the parable of the talents. The talents is, the, is a parable, and this parable refers to a currency that was really popular in Jesus' day. And when it, it threw out this term, we see one, two, and five, and we don't really think of the magnitude of what a talent is, so I'm going to break this down for you a little bit more. Here's this breakdown of the magnitude of the skill which Jesus is sharing with his listeners in the story. One talent was equal to approximately 20 years wages for a typical laborer. Now a master is going out of town, and he calls up his servants, and he entrusts them each with a different amount of talents for each person. If we were to convert this talent to the American dollar, and use an average number like $40,000 as an average income for, a US, for, for somebody here in the U.S. Uh, as a salary. And then remember that a talent was worth 20 years wages. The master is loaning these servants $4 million, $1.6 million, and $800,000 respectively. I would be scared to death. And, and he goes out and he says, hey, I'm going to go on this trip. I'm going to be gone, gone a really long time. And, and he entrusts his servants to, to report back upon his return as to what they did with their master's assets. And the first servant, who had been given five talents, he turned his $4 million into $8 million. And I can imagine this master, he had to have been excited. Like maybe they, they, they chest bumped and he was like, hey, this is great. Like way to, way to go. This is wonderful. And uh, well done. You can enter into the joy of your master. The second guy did likewise. He took his two talents and he turned the $1.6 million dollars and to 3.2. And again, he doubled his master's property. He was thrilled and he said, well done, enter into the joy of your master. But this third guy, he botches it. Look back at what happened with me and I'm going to just read this for you one more time. In verse 24 it says, he who had received the one talent came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you, uh, where you scatter no seed. So I was afraid, and I went, and I hid your talent in the ground where you have what is yours. And this is where this story takes a little bit of a turn. In verse 26, it says, But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, 
And at my coming, I should re- receive what was, what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who had the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given, and he who has an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now at first glance, this master in the story seems really mean. Like, the, the third guy, he really didn't do that bad of a job. He, he didn't lose any of the money. As a matter of fact, he just gave back what was already the master. So what's the big deal? Well, let's put it into today's terms, okay? Imagine somebody owned three fast food restaurants, a Chick-fil-A, a Dario, and a McDonald's. And he, he calls in all the managers from each one of these three different restaurants. And he says, hey, I'm going to be, able, I'm going to be gone for the next quarter. And I need each one of you to, to be in charge of these restaurants. And so he goes and he, he comes back after a long time. And he pulls the Chick-fil-A owner into his office and he says, so, how, how, were, the, how were the profits? How, how are we looking business-wise? And the owner of the Chick-fil-A, the manager of this Chick-fil-A, he says, well, even though we're closed on Sundays, we managed to double our quarterly sales while you were gone. And the boss says, that's fantastic. Well done. This is fantastic. The Dario manager's turn. He, he comes into the, man, to the owner's office and he says, all right, so tell me how we're doing, how things look. And the Dario manager, he says, well, business was booming. We had a higher than normal amount of customers and revenue reflects that. And the boss says, well done, good and faithful servant. This is fantastic. And then the man, McDonald's manager, he comes into the boss's office and he says, so how things go? McDonald's guy, he replies, well, here are the keys back. The place is spotless. Nothing got broken and we didn't even touch anything. And then the owner, he says, well, did you even open the store? And the manager replies back. He said, no, I didn't want anything to go wrong. So we, we were afraid that you would get mad if something bad happened. So we didn't even open up the store. And the boss says, are you kidding me? Could you imagine an employee not even bothering to open the store that he was left in charge of? That would be crazy, right? Like none of us would do this. No, nobody in their right mind would do that. One of the lessons that I think that we can take away from this story is that God has entrusted each one of us with a talent of some kind. For some of us, we're really good at working with our hands. And, and some people are doc- doctors or carpenters or you're in the construction business and you've been given this incredible talent. Other people, you're really good with your minds. And so you've become teachers and tutors and, and people who can do really smart things with computers and thinking a lot about strategic things. One thing that I think that is true of each and every single one of us is that we have all been given an incredible gift And that is a gift of time. Maybe this third servant, he neglected to do anything because he was envious of what he did not have. Even though he had been given something incredible, maybe he was upset that he didn't get as much from the master as the other two servants had been given. You see, we've all been given something. And sometimes we play the comparison game. We look around and we're jealous of what we don't have. Well, I'm going to say that today we're going to be talking about something that is equal for every one of us. Not a single person in this room has been given one bit more time than the other person. We've all been given 24 hours in a day to use as a talent. Time is spent doing a lot of different activities. This morning we're talking about being slothful. Slothhood is among the one of the many other things that we've seen and and heard called the seven deadly sins. Sloth is up there with lust, greed, malice, pride, envy, and anger. And it's one of these seven deadly sins. 
And that's not really a term, sloth is not really a term that we use a whole lot. Maybe you are envisioning something that looks a little bit like this. This is not the sloth that we're talking about today. The sloth that we're talking about today is, is spiritual or emotional apathy, or neglecting what God has spoken. Or said another way, it is excessive laziness or the failure to act and utilize one's talents. In short, slothfulness is a spiritual form of laziness. And being busy is the new lazy. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, I, I'm so busy, I don't even have time to be lazy. And I get it. You're busy, but you're also lazy, and I'm going to explain. Sometimes we busy ourselves to the point of exhaustion, and it wears on us so much so that we begin to neglect our physical and emotional and certainly our spiritual health. And most of that busyness is spent doing very trivial things. And here's the important thing to remember. God will never compete for our attention. One of our church members a few years ago, he uh, referred me to uh, an author by the name of Dallas Willard. Um, he's a, a contemporary philosopher, and he wrote lots of books on the Christ Christian spiritual formation in his lifetime before he passed away in 2013. And in his book called The Great Omission, Dallas Willard says this, If we will not withdraw from things that obsess and exhaust us into solitude and silence, God will usually leave us to our own devices. If we will not withdraw from things that obsess and exhaust us into solitude and silence, God will usually leave us to our own devices. There was a survey that was taken recently by approximately 13,000 believers. And they had a question that was asked of them about their busyness. And the busyness, the statement said this, the busyness of my life gets in the way of developing my relationship with God. And six out of ten Christians responded with often or always. That's 60% of Christians admitted to being too busy for God. There was a children's book that I read when I was a kid. It's called The Phantom Toll Booth. And in this, there's a boy named Milo, and he comes across this frightening, faceless, terrible trivium. And he's described as this, a demon of petty tasks and worthless jobs. He's an ogre of wasted effort. And a monster of habit. And Milo and his friends, they become brainwashed. And they agree to, do, to, to perform these very trivial tasks. Like moving a whole entire, entire pile of sand from one place to the next. Using tweezers one grain at a time. And the terrible trivium's explanation for their terrible fate says this. If you only do the easy and useless jobs... You will never have to worry about the important ones, which are so difficult. You just won't have the time. For there's always something to do to keep you from what you really should be doing. And isn't that the truth? There's always something to do that should and could be keeping us from what we should be doing. What would God want us to do with the time that he's entrusted to us? What would he ask of us? There are three pursuits that I think rob God of what is truly his that I'd like to share with you this morning. And the first one is the pursuit of money. We spend a crazy amount of time pursuing money in our lives. When you think about it, most of our childhood is spent in school. And what is the primary purpose of going to school? It's to prepare us for a career. And then once we finally get out of school, we spend about the next 40 or 50 years working, 40 or more hours a week. And if you want to start the year 2018 off on the right foot, and one of your goals is to work harder, that's fantastic. 
I think the Bible clearly values that. And there's plenty of scriptures that would back that up. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4 and 5 says this. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Or Proverbs 13, 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. And one last one comes from 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18. It says, For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Clearly, the Bible values hard work. So yes, hard work itself is a virtue. You go to work, and you work hard and pursue a great career, but how much is enough? Our culture celebrates the adults in the workforce who commute two hours both ways to work or spend weeks away on business trips as being models of success. I've heard adults brag about how many hours they work, and when somebody tells them that they should work less, they kind of quip sarcastically and say, ah, yeah, that'd be great. And as many people, they hold this up as the model for the rest of the world to follow, as if that's what success truly looks like. Now, I'm honestly a little concerned, uh, being one of the youth pastors on staff, for, for the model that we're setting for the next gen. I see students working 10 to 20 hours after school and on weekends working, and maybe I'm alone on this, but I, I think that's a little crazy sometimes. I know that it helps to teach responsibility, and I know it allows them opportunities to gain experience, but I think one of the things that we've done in doing this is that we've removed the opportunity to practice Sabbath. We've neglected the ways to live out Psalm chapter 46, verse 10, that says, Be still and know that I am God. We seem to be too busy to be still and to know. When we say things like it teaches responsibility or provides experience, it really is a facade for the truth behind the job, and that's that we are money-hungry people. It's the idea that I need more money. I don't have enough now, so I'll do what it takes to get just a little bit more. John D. Rockefeller, he became known as the world's first ever billionaire in 1916. He died in 1937, and his fortune at that time, adjusted for today's inflation, would have been worth approximately 340 billion dollars. That's billion with a B. And here's one of the things that he said about acquiring wealth. When you get 10, you will want 20. When you get 20, you will want 40. So even this guy who was worth 350 billion dollars recognized that no amount of money would ever be enough for those whose main goal in life is to pursue money. And scripture speaks to this as well. First Timothy verse, chapter 6 verse 10 says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that we have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Or Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So the question is this. Who or what is your master? Few people would ever own up to this and say, yeah, yeah, I'm definitely being mastered by money right now. But your answer is lived out every day in your priorities. What holds your interest? What did you give your time to? What do you orient yourself around? Whatever it is, that is what your master is. And for many of us, that thing is money. Being mastered by money takes our focus away from God. Being mastered by money makes us value worthless things, things that if you're a believer, we ultimately won't be able to take into heaven with us. And being mastered by money can make us slothful. Which leads us to the second pursuit. 
The second pursuit that I think that robs us of God, robs God of, of what is truly his is the pursuit of status. When you meet somebody new, they often ask the question, well, tell me about yourself. What is it that you say? It's never random because what? We, we want them to, to know us for what we want them to know us for, right? Like we paint this beautiful picture. And I think that that's one of the things that I love about social media. Uh, social media is so great because we get to update our co- cover photo for the world to see us and how we want them to see us. Now, some of you are not social media people, and that is totally okay. But you can maybe relate to this. Maybe you know that like in social media, you can post a picture of yourself and you can allow others to see you for what they want you to see you as. And so here's an example. Like this, is, this, is, this would be an equivalent of a profile picture. But then in reality, what happens is you're out and about and somebody can tag you in a picture on social media. And it might look something a little bit more like this. This is reality. <laughs> right? <laughs> like there's a big contrast between the two of these things. Or maybe it's something like this, like this is the profile picture that you post, and then you're out and about doing your regular ordinary routine, and then you get tagged in another picture on social media like this. In that same conversation, what do we tend to do when we ask people to tell us about themselves? We listen to what they're saying, and we size them up to see if they're any better than us. Why do we care? Because we look in the mirror, and sometimes we don't always like what we see looking back. Because at some point we decided, or we were told, that we were not worth loving. Maybe you've thought this before. Maybe you've thought that you're too ugly, or too pretty, or too dumb, or too nerdy, or too poor, or too rich, too weird, or whatever it is. If you don't hear anything else today, here's what I would hope that you would hear. You are not what you do. You are not what's been done to you. And you are not what you can contribute. You are who Christ has made you to be. You are loved. And you are a precious child of God. The Apostle Paul wrote this in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2 verse 10. He says, for we are his workmanship. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. Who owns your identity? When you find your identity in things and possessions instead of in Christ. Normal life giving enjoyable pursuits. They can go from harmless to poisonous. They can make us self-centered. They can make us slothful. They absorb our time and our energy that should be rightly directed toward God and building up his kingdom. I know that I could stand to use my time doing more things that truly matter. And the last pursuit that I think robs God of what is truly his is the pursuit of happiness. Pursuit of happiness. Pursuing happiness is a little crazy. Have you ever thought about what it truly means to be happy? Happiness is actually an emotional state tied to our immediate circumstance. And when the circumstance changes, happiness usually goes with it. I see this best exemplified in my kids. Uh, Whenever they get candy, they're happy. But whenever you take the candy away, they get sad. And for Jet, my my three-year-old, he gets mad whenever the candy's gone. So happiness is a quick fix. And we pursue happiness for this quick fix. The easy solution is, to what ails us. Just read this book or take this course, buy this car, drink this shake, purchase that $7 coffee, and then you'll be happy. When happiness proves to be elusive, we invest more and more energy and money and time trying to fill that void again. Pursuing happiness leads us to slothfulness. The irony is that the more you pursue your own happiness, the more slothful it is that you become. 
You become dead spiritually focused only on yourself. Instead, we should focus first on God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus is speaking, and he says, Be, but, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you when we seek first the kingdom of God. Somewhere along the way, we develop this skewed idea, this, this silly idea, that we should only do the things that make us happy. That makes no sense. Because in this mindset, serving others becomes an inconvenience. Going to church becomes an optional thing. Seeking God in prayer and devotion will only happen when things get desperate and you hope that God can make you happy again. Instead, we should always live to bring glory to God and acknowledge every moment as a gift from Him and live accordingly. Take those jelly beans from the opening video that we learned about and do something worthwhile with that that is fruit-bearing with your time so as to expand and build the, the kingdom of God. I can almost guarantee that if you were to choose to do that instead, that your life would soon be filled not with the quick fix of happiness, but with long-lasting joy. The fundamental, the fundamental mistake that we make that leads us to slothfulness is that we see our time as our own. We see it as something that we can do with as we please. The servants in the parable of the talents they were not given talents to spend on their own pleasures, to put an extension on their house, or, or to do with what they wanted. They were given the talents to work with them and to increase the master's wealth, not their own. Our time is a talent, and that is a gift. We have been given that gift to use for the master's glory. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verse 38 and 42, there's a great story about Mary and Martha. And they are two sisters both had different views on how to use their time. It says this, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Martha has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This coming year, are you going to be a Mary, or are you going to be a Martha? Are you going to fill your time with busyness, for busyness sake, or are you going to be a Mary who used her time to pursue a better walk with Christ? Notice that she was just sitting there at his feet, listening to his words. You might be thinking, okay, I get it. Any tips on how I can do this better? I, I've not been doing this really good in 2017, so how can I, I be better in 2018? Here are a few practical ideas that you might choose to use as you make your New Year's resolutions. All of you that raised your hand, you're not making your New Year's resolutions earlier, maybe you can apply one of these. First one is to track your time. There are apps for doing this. It, most of us these days, we have these little gadgets in our pockets that connect us to the world, and we can download apps that truly help us tracking our time. There's, just to name two of them, one is Toggle, EverHour is another one. And seriously, here's what I would recommend. Commit to a week of tracking how you spend every minute of your day, and when you go back and you look at it, you will probably be shocked at how much time you wasted. I have, has anybody else ever gotten that message up on Netflix before that says, are you still watching? You know you're watching a lot of Netflix whenever you get that message. One way I've tried to do this recently was 
I wanted to start reading more. I, I, I tried tracking my time, and I was like, ah, I just, where, I get interrupted every time I try to read at home, so how can I do more reading? One of the things that I tried to do was I started listening to books on tape. Not really tape, but podcasts and, um, and audible.com. Like, and if there's a leadership book or a book on how to grow in my walk with Christ, I've downloaded these so that I can try to listen to these as I'm commuting back and forth to wherever it is I'm going in my vehicle. The second way that we can apply this is to change your language. Here's a really great practice. Instead of, the, instead of saying, I'm too busy, you can try saying, it's not a priority. So if somebody were to ask you how your daily quiet time devotions have been going, instead of saying, well, you know, I've just been too busy, it's been a really busy day and I never really got around to it, you could say, it's just not been a priority. That makes it sound a lot harsher, but it's the truth. There's a big difference. It's a little more honest. The words you use will often influence how you act. The last one is to press pause. Slow down. Evaluate your life. When was the last time that you sat still for 15 minutes, 30 minutes, or an hour, and just prayed and reflected on what God wants you to do? I know what you're thinking. An hour for that? I don't have time to pray for an hour? Exactly my point. One of my things that I've tried to do in my own spiritual walk to try helping with this is every single Monday, Pastor David has a prayer time in our prayer room here at church. It's open to anybody who ever wants to come. And whenever I'm available, it, it won't be open tomorrow. The church office is closed if you're trying to practice this tomorrow. But um, for whoever wants to come on Mondays, except for tomorrow, we will, we're usually in there and we're praying for about an hour for various needs of the church, for our own needs. And we're, we're giving thanks to God. These are ways that I've tried to practice. And I tell you what, I am a to-do person. I have my list of all the things I need to get done and it is very difficult to be disciplined to go into that room for an hour when I want to get, get cracking at all the things I need to get done for the week. But it's such a great way to start the week off in an hour of prayer over my lunch break. Your time here on earth has been entrusted to you by God. You've been given a talent of time and God expects you to make the most of it for his glory, not always for yours. Will I still watch a show on Netflix to unwind after I get the kids in bed at night? Yeah, from time to time I will, but I'm going to strive to make 2018 the year of using my time to expand God's kingdom even more. I'm going to begin this year by making more time to seek God to allow him to use me to build his kingdom. And make no mistake that when the master returns, we will be held to an account, just like these three servants will. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Let us enter into the joy of the master. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for this time to explore your truth and to hear from your word. Lord, we pray as we set out in the year 2018 that the best would be yet to come for us. I pray that this would be a year of life-giving fruit, that for your people in this church, that they would be using their time to be building your kingdom. Lord, when it's hard and difficult and life circumstances are preventing us from seeking you out on a daily basis, Lord, allow those to be the times where we draw even closer to you. And allow us to somehow just multiply our time. Whenever we do seek time to explore you and to spend time in prayer and pursuit of, of walking better and devotion with you, Lord, multiply our time so that we do have time for the other tasks that are at hand that keep us busy. Keep us from being lazy servants, but keep us busy building your kingdom. We pray in the name of Jesus.
Amen.